Welcome to Breakthrough the Ordinary Podcast. Are you ready to be committed to your future self? If you are, sibling duo Mark and Claudine Schramante will take you on a journey of self-discovery to unlock your highest potential. Through impactful conversations with thought leaders, coaches, healers, and entrepreneurs, we will share practical tools and tips to generate the life you envision. New episodes drop every Monday. Privilege of having Dr. Ray Blanchard, who is a lifestyle architect and is grounded in transformational principles and heroic leadership. He is a master international trainer, seminar designer, corporate consultant. His deep interest in consciousness and transformational technologies has shaped his approach to trainings and life. The result is a colorful and eclectic blend of perspectives intertwined in the training world. Welcome, welcome. It's an honor. So thank you, Ray. So we always start our first question being that we're about breakthrough on a personal, professional level. We always ask our guests, what is it that you think people get to have a breakthrough in so they can have the life they say they want? Well, that's a great question. And my simple answer is to have a shift in their worldview. Now, that's a concept that most people don't uh, address or are not accustomed to addressing their worldview. But everybody is a story. Everybody has a story. And inside of each of our stories, we develop our perspectives, our way of seeing things, our way of seeing life. And that sets up our way of going about life and our actions and our reactions, our emotions. And it turns out to be uh, certain results consistent with that worldview. So if people are going to have a transformation, that you've got to go all the way to the source of where people operate from, and that's their worldview. Uh, some people say, I'll believe it when I see it. What we say is, I'll see it when I believe it. So people have a certain set of beliefs, a certain set of perspectives that they operate out of already. And that's giving them the, the life that they've got. So because life is a living sculpture of your belief system and your perspectives or your worldview. So if you really want to shift or transform, you got to go to the source, go to the source of your belief systems and, and your worldview and shift at that level. And if you can shift at that level, you can shift your life dramatically and profoundly. I have to agree with you. I don't think we have spoken about worldview. Would you mind expanding upon that? And when you say go to the source of that, maybe you could dive a little deeper. Yeah, well, that's a great, a great that you asked me to go deeper because worldview is so significant. The way people see the world, the way you see life, you've heard people say, some people see things as a glass half empty. Some people see life as a glass half full. Well, that perspective, depending on what perspective you take, is going to set up your attitudes and your actions and your reactions. So let's not limit it to the glass half empty or the glass half full. It could be a whole myriad of ways that people see life. But however you see life, let's call it your worldview, the way you see the world. That then determines how you're going to respond to the world because you respond to things the way you see things and the way you hear it or the way you feel it. So visually, auditorily, kinesthetically, the way you take in the world is going to be a dominant factor in the way you respond to the world. 
So your worldview is the trim tab, so to speak, the leverage point of which you actually uh, take on your life. So that's a bit about worldview. But in your second part of your question, going to the source of your worldview. Now, that's a trick that's worth uh, many hours of work. Going to the source of your worldview really incorporates noticing, having yourself opened up so you can notice without having any kind of reactions or resistance. And then what to notice. It usually takes someone to guide you through some of your events of your life, through some of the perspectives that you developed out of those events, and keep tracking it down to the earliest, I would say the more formative years of your life. That's where you developed uh, some of your most fundamental worldviews. So if you could track it all the way to the source, to the beginnings of where you established some of your dominant worldviews, that's where you can begin to get some insights and insights lead you to new choices and ability to shift. I know part of what you do is transformational trainings, and that's how you help people maybe get into this worldview or see where it's come from, that perception. So can you explain that for people, our listeners, and how that can benefit us and humankind? Absolutely. In the work that I do, we call it experiential work. So it's not just talking heads and talking concepts uh, like we might be doing in a podcast or a conversation. But in a training room, we will have conversations like we're having now. However, we don't leave it with just conversation. We have people have direct experiences of what we're talking about. So we've got to set up some activities and we set them up from ease of entry into more complex activities. And each activity reveals to people something that we want them to start noticing, to start looking at, that starts to lead them down this track where, where we're talking about to the source of their worldviews. And we'll set up another activity for them to, to do so that they can start to notice some things with a kind of a hands-on approach so that people can actually grasp what we're talking about and, and so they can embody what we're talking about. And as we do that, we just go to more complex experiences and activities for people to notice. And pretty soon, after you get so far down the, down the path, it's like putting a jigsaw puzzle together. After you get so many pieces into place, aha, boom, I see the point. I see where I've been operating from. I see what's been dominating my life. And that's a profound moment of insight for people. And that moment of insight leads people to wanting to know more, wanting to see how they can shift that because they, it, through that lens, they can begin to see their whole life unfolding as it is. And that's when they get a lot of excitement, uh, wanting to know more about how can I delve deeper into this and what can I do about that? And how can I shift my worldview and my perspectives to more of what I really want to accomplish in my life? And that's where the real work is, is shifting into that next year. 
I'm sitting here and I'm having flashbacks of distinctions from the training, from transformational training. I won't share any of them because I get to be in the room. And when we create the distinctions, right, it really allows us to have become a different observer of how we have our story. Absolutely. And, and you know, one of the really great things you just said is that making distinctions, most people make distinctions, but they don't know that they're making distinctions all the time. They're not aware of it. We make uh, subtle distinctions every day. What we want to do is have certain distinctions made that would allow people to see deeper into themselves. So making distinctions is a very, very important part of the training process of people's opening up. Because as you say, as you can make distinctions, it allows you incredible possibilities. So that's an important part of the work we do is helping people to discern and make distinctions. That's what I was thinking about the training. It's the discernment because some distinctions we have are not quite clear or I don't want to say even playing ground, but our distinctions are a little warped or they're off. And the training really gave you distinctions that were clear, that were on the, like, they weren't distracted. They didn't have these little things mixed. I don't even know how to explain it, but they were very clear. This distinction is very clear. And I appreciate the experiential work. Yeah, the experiential work is what's more, it's so much fun, isn't it? That's what people get into it and really get into all their, you know, the nitty gritty of things and get into uh, conversations and GC uh, realizations and sharing and, and they get to feel things. You know, it, it's a difference between knowing how to ride a bike and the experience of riding a bike. So the experience of riding a bike with the wind in your face and the equilibrium and, and being able to look around. That's a distinct experience. It's a rich experience. And that's so distinct from the concept of describing riding a bike. So many people live into the concept of describing things and knowing things by description, knowing things by concepts. But the experience of riding, the experience of these things that we're talking about is the richness. And that's the fun part of the training. And as like you were saying too, Mark, making distinctions really clear. What we do in the trainings and in the transformational work is we spend a lot of time researching concepts researching experiences, researching what makes people tick, what inspires people, what moves people, what touches people. We've become very clear about that. And we've also become very clear about how to present it so that it goes down smoothly, so that it goes down easier and the sequence to present it in. So as we go through making distinctions in the training, we've painstakingly gone through laying out the sequence and the concepts inside of a sequence to just like an unfolding process, an emerging process, so that it's very clear to people what we're talking about. Is there any, you know, and I know that you're international, so right, transformational training may be a heading, but you've done this international for different organizations and, and training centers. Is there some guiding distinctions that are in all of them that you can share? I'm not here to reveal anything about the training because I think they're magical. But are there some guiding principles, even if it's done in you know, Asia versus United States, you know, Texas versus California? Is there some that guide it? Oh, wow. The, the principles, glad you asked that, because the principles are the same, just like the principles in the universe are the same, no matter whether you're in Australia or whether you're in, in Antarctica. The principles of how the universe operates is the same, no matter where you are. So the principles of transformation are the same, no matter what culture you're from. So principles are very important because principles are 
operating systems, the way things operate in a universal sense. So it's important that you think that if we're going to get involved in changing our lives and transforming our lives, that you think it would be important for us to know what the principles are and know how things operate. So principles tell us how things operate in general. Now, when it comes to different cultures, we make adaptations, of course. But the principles, the fundamental principles of transformation are, are basically the same. And there are a number of them. And we won't get into all of them. I'm glad you asked this because I'm going to be putting the top 12 in the book that I'm writing. And the book is coming along soon. So that's my plug for my book coming along, one, uh, come, coming real soon. But I'm going to put about 12 of them in there. The ones I think are the most fundamental to your success. But there's so many uh, things that we can talk about. And these are the most universal ones. Things like intention. We need to know what intention is. And we need to engage in purpose, not just your personal purpose, but your higher purpose. And, and get people into what is their purpose and discovering their purpose and their deeper yearnings and their deeper passions that give rise to the power that it gives them power in life. And honesty, not just in did you tell a lie or like that, of uh, facing up to your results, facing up to where you're operating from so that you can make some choices. Uh, so that we get choice is another distinction because without choice, there's no freedom. Choice gives you agency. Choice gives you freedom. Choice gives you power. And once you make those choices and we help people with making choices versus making these limited decisions. I either go buy my medication or I go on a vacation. So that's kind of a limited uh, range of choices. But we want people to really understand the power of free choice, choice that's not predetermined for people. And once we do that, then that allows people to go through all the rest of the steps like commitment and risk taking. And personal responsibility is one of the ones that I think is so important to everyone because it's so easy for us to fall into the victim trap of life or life is doing it to me and feel like you have no power. So when we can help people get into that distinction at the heart of that distinction of responsibility, that gives them power to lead their lives in a profound way. And I, I could go through more, but a couple of others that I think are really, really important is partnership, being in integrity with yourself and as we have been discussing in the Ancient Wisdoms course, being in right relations. And I would maybe like to come back to that one a little bit later, being in right yeah. relations. Oh, I like that principle. I wouldn't mind going through it now. <laughs> you brought it up. Let's let's dive in. Well, like, let's, because well, life is a relationship. Okay. Isn't life a relationship? So why not? We're wired for connection. This is what we're about, relationship. So. Well, well great. Well, you know, because relationship is something that everybody is involved in and everybody wants to know about, of course. But, you know, we got to go beyond just my personal relationship, like my spouse or my, my family, my sister, my brother, my girlfriend, boyfriend. These are like personal relations. But indigenous wisdom path and learning from our elders across all cultures, there are some perennial wisdoms that we can tap into that illuminate life for us, that illuminates all kinds of things for us. For instance, 
I've been working with some people from the American Indian tradition, and we also work with some people from other cultures as well. But I'm working in particular with someone who's a pipe holder in the American Indian tradition. And they have an expression that uh, goes, the game of life is being in right relations. Right relation means being related to all things, the four-leggeds, the two-leggeds, the trees, the wind. Being in relationship allows you to become more ecologically minded, not ecology in terms of saving the planet per se, but it allows you to be more ecological in that you're related to all things. You're connected to all things. And being in that proper alignment of connectedness to all things, it allows you to tap into different archetypes, allows you to tap into wisdoms, allow you to tap into something that's close at heart, brings you closer connection with the all, a connection with God, so to speak. And that gives people a centeredness and a sense of balance, and it nourishes them and it encourages them to be uh, more engaged with all things and connected with all things. So being in right relations is a, a, a profound distinction that we want to have people experience. And we take people through closed eye processes and meditations where they can get into those deeper experiences of, of being related. I appreciate you saying that because as I'm sitting here listening, I was thinking it's, it's also being in right relations so beyond us. Right. Because so often it's about my right. Like who's in my sphere. Like you said before, it's more than my spouse, my friends, my family. It, it's because we're part of something bigger. Uh, and I really felt that as you described it is like it's pulling me into I'm part of that whole family, you know, the tree family, the, the wisdom family, the, the sky. And, and I'm also responsible and accountable to that. Yes. Right? Like, just about my comforts and, oh, I recycle, you don't. Like, it, 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 no, we. It's, a, it's, it's how we going to do this together. Yes, yes. This is a great, great concept. You know, this, if you can think of a visual of a circle, a big circle, and in this circle, there are representatives of all aspects of nature, the coyote, the buffalo, the tree, the human being. All species are in the circle, like one big circle. And imagine a human being, a man, woman, in the center. That is an expression called egocentric, where we're the center of everything. Everything centers around us. And we are for our sake. So we're in the center of everything. But think of that same image, a circle of all entities, and then you, the human being, man, woman, steps out of the center and joins the circle. And you're just one of the circle. That's ecocentric versus egocentric. So when we're egocentric, everything is about us, me, mine. When we're ecocentric, everything is about the all, for all of us, for the highest good and gain of all concern. That's a distinction that we need to shift into in the world, a world transformation, because the world has become so egocentric 
that has created this incredible separation in the world. And that's the part of people suffering is their separation in the world. That's where their suffering comes from. And we have such a culture built around separation and individualism. No wonder we have such suffering going on in the world. The solution to that and the healing of that is to become more ecocentric and more involved in right relations with everything, in which case you're accountable to it and it's accountable to you, as you say. It's a mutual partnership of benefit. I don't know where this plays in or not, but this is, I'm having this vision of, you know, that circle and also to get out of our egocentric is also to understand that there's relationships happening separate from me everywhere. And how do I find acceptance and okayness with that ones I'm not in? Yes, in the totality of that circle, we're all in this world. But there's also relationships happening all over the world, every other individual around me that I need to find an acceptance, a respect, an honoring of that's their process, even though we're all in this circle. I feel like it's always around my circle, or even if I'm in the circle, it's still me in the circle. How do I actually allow it that that's happening without me, even though I'm part of this whole piece? I'm just bringing that up because it, 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 it hit me when you were speaking about that, that there's stuff going on total outside myself, and I need to find a space of honor of that that has nothing to do with me in the immediate. Yes, in the totality, we're all, but I, I hope I'm making that clear. Oh, yeah, that was, that, that was great insight, Mark. That, that's very, very important because, you know, everyday people, myself included and you included, we think of life in our own world. We, we're going about our own business. We're thinking about our own lives. We're thinking about our wife or our family, our children, or, or the people in our lives that we benefit and people that benefit us. We're in our own world, so to speak, and everybody is. And there are all these Vast numbers of relationships, like you say, that are going on throughout the world every day. And everybody's got their own agendas and uh, interlocking agendas. That's what's going on every day. And I don't think we'll ever stop doing that. And I don't think this world, this ecocentric worldview that says to stop doing that because everybody will do that. But what this ecocentric worldview is suggesting is that as each of us are going through our life and going through our various agendas with our primary and our personal relationships, to have kind of like a second mind, an overmind, that everything I'm doing in some respect is going to affect everybody else. And if that's the case, how would I proceed from this moment? What would I do in this moment, knowing that not only as I deal with my primary relations and they deal with me, however we deal with each other, we're part of something bigger. We're affecting the community beyond us as well. I don't think most people think of it like that because they're too busy with their own dealing with their own lives every day. And they don't necessarily think about that second point of view, that overmind of, so how is this related to all beings? How is this related to everybody? What I do affects my family. What my family does affects the community. What the community does affects our culture. What our culture does affects the world. So we're part of this whole network. But 
you know, we can have both the personal relationships and as well as the, the larger world of relationships. So we can have it all. I'm thinking of the butterfly effect. And, you know, we, we say that in a lot of ways, right? When butterfly flaps their wings, they can feel it across the world. But that really is, it's being mindful of that is happening. I'm the butterfly in my one small decision. It's not just for Claudine. It's right. That impacts Mark. That impacts my mother. That impacts the community that, you know, that's a different mindfulness, you know, and, and, a, and a, a presence. That's a real great point. It's a different mindfulness is the word you used. It's a mindfulness. It's not requiring people to give up anything per se. It's not requiring people to take on something larger than they can bear, but it's asking people to do exactly what you just said, Claudine, is be mindful. A mindfulness, I think that's the key to it. And if I could be mindful of, even in my primary relationship, be mindful of my spouse, be mindful of our relationship, I would probably go about my actions and reactions quite differently than if I were not mindful. So being mindful allows us to do better by each other and for each other. And I think that way we can shift the world by increasing the mindfulness practices of people. I mean, I think the egocentric, as I was sitting listening to you, I was thinking, my God, there's so much righteousness in it. It's not intentional. It's not a bad wrong. It's like when it's about me, it's the way I got it is right. <laughs> you're, you're just going to get the byproduct of my right, you know, my right choices. Yeah, well it, well, it sets up right and wrong, doesn't it? It sets up I'm right or sets up my point of view versus your point of view. And, you know, that's what we got going on in the world. That's what we got going on in our political systems these days. Is this our party versus your party and I'm right and you're wrong. And we got a lot going on on the right-wrong dimension. But I also think that our culture, our media, our programming also sets that up. One of the things that have been very dear to me is the the work with young girls, their self-image. And a lot of their self-image is being shaped by what's going on in the media and social media and their self-identity to where some of these young girls having a negative self-identity and, and hurting themselves, even uh, cutting themselves, even killing themselves. And it's a very, very sad thing because I think what's being portrayed to them is that you got to look a certain way. It's all about your image and it's all about you. Uh, me, 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 me. Do I compare to other people? Am I better than, less than? Do I live up to other people? Do people like me? Do people want me? Or am I matching up to the profile that people like? So I think what we've done is we've created a culture that really keeps people focused on themselves, keep people focused on their own image of being right, their own image of their presence. And what we need to do is start to soften that to some degree. I don't think that we need to give it up completely, but I think we need to soften this individualism soften this egocentricity and have people be a little bit more engaged and see themselves through other people as well as through the social lenses. Earlier, you alluded to spirit. You said a word around it, but you alluded to spirit. And so I was wondering if you could define that, share the role it plays in our lives and what wisdom we can tap into. 
in terms of spirit? You know, when I was talking to the American Indians, pipe holders and uh, chieftains, they speak in terms of the great spirit, the one and all. And I taught the Christians and some of the religious groups, they talk about spirit as God. And when I, I work with some people in other indigenous cultures, they talk about the spirit in nature itself. So when you start talking about spirit, you can get into real complex conversations. But if we could boil it down to something that most people could relate to, I would say it's your inner guidance, your inner strength, your sense of oneness, the deeper source of creation that you identify with, spirit. I I don't think that most people think that the world just popped up on its own. I think most people think that there's a, a force behind it all. And I don't know whether you're Christian or whether you're Baha'i or what you believe in, but I think most people think that there's a force behind it all, a a benevolent force. And uh, we're going to call that a spirit. Some people call it God. In the work that I'm doing with the uh, indigenous group at Upend, we're calling it that sense of oneness, that sense of oneness, that uh, connectedness, the tie that binds us all together, the tie that binds all things together that deeper essence, like we do a process in the training, which is one of my favorite processes, where we stand across from each other and we vote on each other, whether to love each other or whether to turn away from each other or to connect or not connect. It's a very powerful process. And during that process, there was a, there's a moment in which when I'm conducting it, I tell people to just stop and look into the eyes of the person across from you. And then look beyond the physical eyes themselves and see if you can look further inside. And the further you look, and see if you can look further than that. And the further you look, it's almost like after a while, it's looking into infinity. It's like looking into the infinite. And when you can see that far, you can see what that person is made of, what you're made of, what the universe is made of, what we're all made of. And it might go by many names, but you see an essence, a profound force of life that we all are. And I think having that and a connection with that gives us a sense of hope because without a sense of that and a sense of purpose, we don't have hope. And without hope, people disintegrate. So the role that that plays in our lives is really significant because it's it's at the essence, it's at the heart of the matter, gives rise to hope and faith and a reason to live and a reason to, to be the best person that you can be and be the better you. I love that process too. We're back at choice. And, and being in connection, the all. We usually have a call to action or a challenge with our audience to help them embody this conversation and the gift that you bring to this conversation. I love the idea of if people can be in connection with each other, right? Like, a, you know, a heart salutation, looking into each other's eyes and pausing with somebody in your life, right? And, and, and I don't know, Ray, please help design it. 
if you feel like it, it should be 10 seconds or maybe one whole minute where there's no, there's no conversation, there is eye gazing, right? And allow yourself to take that person in as, yes, the human form, but to me, you, what you're speaking to is they're, they're part of infinite as, as our way, as we all are. You know, if you think there's a certain time that should elapse in that, that piece between people. I think you 20 seconds or so, at least, or maybe even more than that, but you don't want to make it so long that it makes people really, really uncomfortable. But, it, but do it long enough so that people get some of this like, superficial thoughts out of their head. And, and I would distinguish, rather than just have it be eye-gazing, uh, look beyond the eyeballs themselves, the physical eyes themselves, and look into the essence of the being. So it's kind of like essence. Gazing in a way. Essence, I like that. All right, so that's the call. Thirty seconds of essence gazing. Okay, so everyone, we're gonna we're gonna invite our listeners to do some essence gazing for up to thirty yeah, seconds. Yeah, cool for people to do for the new year. You know, for all the people in your life that you're close yeah. to that you're gonna see. Take us, take a, a few seconds with each one and look into their heart and look into their soul. Let them look into your soul and feel your connection. Now, if people feel uncomfortable with it, I mean, don't force it on them, of course. But for those people who are cool and, and, and game for it, I take a moment and let's just stop and look and be with each other. And please, yeah. if you do this, please put it on social media. Tag us at the BTO podcast on Instagram, you know, Facebook and, and Twitter. I, I think it's a beautiful invitation to really be in connection. This is a really great conversation. I was in Middle East doing a training some years ago. And we have these experiences where, you know, people actually touch uh, physically in, in some of these experiences. And in in, in this particular course, there were men and women in the class. And uh, according to their beliefs and their faith, men uh, are not going to touch women. And, and, you know, over in the Western world, we thought, oh, my God, if they can't touch, we're going to lose, we're going to lose something, we're going to lose the essence of what we want to get done here. But, you know, one of the things that creative things that they did is rather than touch each other, they stood in front of each other and just made eye contact. It was profound. A distinction I'd, I'd like to speak into, and I don't know if you've noticed this, Ray, but I feel there's been much more discussion these, these past few years about distinctions around safety and discomfort. I'm, I'm putting the discomfort in there because I think I'm working with that distinction. But right, we, we see, you know, um, in, in therapies and somatic work, right? Like, are we creating the container of safety in our relationship, within ourselves, within, you know, who we're in? If you, if you feel you could speak into that at all, or maybe you have not seen that, but I, I feel like that's been a, a different kind of conversation around healing and community is, are we creating, you know, safety together? Safety? is an inner game. And transformation is an inner game. And the deeper part of our being is where we find trust, faith, hope. We can have all the safety around us in the world and still not feel safe. We can have all the circumstances and situations set up in the world for safety and still not feel safe. So safety has to do with a certainty within yourself. And if you can find that center, that place of safety, that place of certainty within yourself, then you can trust yourself in the outer world. It's not the outer world doing it to you. 
It's you bringing it to that outer world. So safety has to do with your own inner safety. You can trust yourself in almost any circumstance. So I think we spend a little too much time trying to set things up for people so that they're not threatened. Trying to set the world and the circumstances up for people's comfort, for people's safety. And we're trying to set the circumstances up, thinking that safety depends on the outer circumstances. And what we should be teaching people is safety within, certainty within. It doesn't mean that we don't pay attention to that outer circumstances, but the key to safety is an inner game. And if we could teach people that, we make people stronger. And people can then deal with more of the external circumstances of life. People develop more resilience when we develop safety within. That leads me to then, can you give us a couple ideas um, of how people can start creating safety for themselves? Since it's so important and we really need to create it for ourselves, can you give us a few things that our audience can start or you know, practice to bring safety to themselves? First of all, Everybody has the ability to notice, but not everybody has the ability to notice without judgment. Most people notice and then they make a judgment or assessment. I like this. I don't like this. Is this right or is that wrong? Like that. So they're making judgments when they notice. One of the practices that people can start to do is mindful noticing without judgment. Just be mindful and start to notice your environment. Start to notice your own emotions, your own thoughts, your own feelings. Start to notice the interaction between you and other people. And simply notice without judging. And see if you can get into the practice of mindful noticing without judgment. That in and of itself will give you an incredible leg up. Like some of you probably meditate. And sometimes when you uh, first start meditating, there's so, so many intervening thoughts come in. And then you find yourself addressing all these intervening thoughts. And you find yourself then judging the thoughts. And, oh, my God, is that a right thought? Or shouldn't I be um, more mindful? Or shouldn't I even, should I even be doing these thoughts? So you're in judgment, but there's a moment, just give yourself a break. Don't worry about what you're judging. Don't worry about any of it. If you judged it, you judged it, and then just let it go. If you uh, notice something, just notice it and let it go. So if you could get into the practice, just like meditating, just breathe. Uh, don't worry about what your thoughts are. Don't even fight them. Just notice them and then let them go. And if people could get into that, it would shift, it would shift their endorphins in their body. It would shift their lives. It would shift their internal states. So people get, get into the practice of every day uh, going about life, put a little bit more time in just mindful noticing with no judgment. Even if you did it for a couple of minutes a day, just get into that. And the second thing I would have people do besides mindfulness. Uh, noticing is take walks in nature. 
And as you do walks in nature, start to be mindful and noticing. So get in the practice of noticing first and then get into walking in nature and then just be mindful and just notice. I did that for 30 days in a row at sun up for, for one hour, silent walking at sunrise for 30 consecutive days of just noticing. It was a profound experience. So if anyone could do it just for a few minutes a day, it would be a profound experience. And the third thing I would say is to as to network or work with other people, uh, share with other people what you're learning, let other people share with you. So develop yourself a, a personal learning community and where you're sharing things you're noticing and learning. I think those would be great three, uh, three things is be mindful, um, take nature walks and network with other people. Thank you. Oh, that's a, that, that sounds like a beautiful practice, actually. I love quiet, mindful walks, but to do an hour a day, talk about presence, and going back to ecological, right, you really do end up becoming the observer of so much that's happening. This, all these other relationships are happening, you know, the birds and the trees and the, you know, uh, thank you. I love that. It was so amazing what happens at sunrise. It's so amazing things I never noticed before in that hour of silence. It's like the world came alive to me. And the commitment to do it for 30 days, I got in touch with all of my wanting to avoid commitments and, and all my stories and all of this. It was a life-altering experience, I tell you. So just do it for a little bit and then take kick it up. Thank you. Is there any words of wisdom that you would like to impart as a, as a final note to our listeners, Ray? And you've shared so much already today. If I was to leave the audience with a couple of few things. In the world in which we're living, you're needed. We're needed. We're all needed. You're important. Who you are matters. What you say, do, think, and your actions matter. We're all in this together. So if I was to give myself and each of us a few little tips for the going forward into the holidays and in the new year and beyond, I would say, number one, let's listen. Let's, first of all, listen to our hearts. Let's listen to each other. And let's listen to our conscience. So let's First of all, listen. And second, be real. Be genuine. Be authentic. Don't try to fake it till you make it. The returns, short-term pleasure, long-term pain. So be real, be authentic, whatever that is for you. And the third is, I would say again, take more walks in nature and let nature be your guide. So listen, be real, authentic, and walk in nature a lot more. Thank you too for doing the work that you did, for bringing these messages to the world. And thank you for inviting me. I'm so glad to be able to be a contribution in some kind of way.
Yes. And, and for being in connection after all these years. So thank you for the, your generosity of being a yes, uh, yes and being that gift. And you answered your calling um, and you've inspired so many to answer their calling. Yeah. Uh, that being said, I want to thank everyone for listening to Breakthrough the Ordinary podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and a deep dive into living your extraordinary life um, with, with some beautiful tips from Ray Blanchard. If you'd like to support this podcast, please leave a rating, uh, share it with others, and you can follow us on social media to catch the latest episode at BTO Podcast on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. Until next time, thank you. Thank you.